What if we sometimes feel like we're on the verge of just giving up? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Talkless Talks. Growth-oriented, Parsha-related Torah podcasts are up to the Parsha of Kisete, a Parsha packed with so many mitzvahs, so many details, and within it, the mitzvah of returning lost objects, Hashavas Aveda. And Judaism does not preach finders, keepers, losers, weepers. It in fact preaches losers, weepers, finders, keepers, as we'll explain. But first, to pull together with a theme I'd like to talk about today, Rabbi Shia Grulinski, fascinating speaker and educator and dynamic personality, passed away just a few years ago in Israel, described a situation in which he brought a friend of his to speak to the famed Chazon Ish. This friend was in a state of despair, despondent, ready to give up. And he brought him to the Chazon Ish, hoping the Chazon Ish, Chazon Ish was of the greatest stages of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, living in the land of Israel, and certainly before that as well, but he kept, his, he kept himself pretty anonymous until uh, the middle of his life. And he brings this friend to the Chazon Ish, Ready to give up hope, what do I do? The Chazanish tells him over a story. There was a couple that lived in Europe. The woman was the businesswoman of the family. She was the breadwinner, while her husband was dedicated to Torah study. And he plugged away at the books, very intense in his studies, and she was very proud of that, and had phenomenal business talent, and managed to find the magic of buying low, selling high, finding goods in different markets, selling them in other markets, and was doing quite well and supporting the family very comfortably. And she had an opportunity to make some significant deals in a market to which she traveled. And she traveled to the market with the proverbial pouch filled with coins. And to make it a story, of course, we anticipate that the pouch filled with coins got lost. This wasn't simply a pouch filled with some coins. This was going to be a major investment. It was worth liquidating other assets to be able to have the cash available to make this investment. And she comes to this town with everything she's got and loses it all. She decides herself, what do I do? This is going to do us in. She does what we can expect a Jewish woman to do in that context. She goes to the local rabbi, seeking out his assistance. Any suggestions for me? And he does. He puts out word in the Jewish community that if anybody has found this pouch, they should come to my office immediately. Now, this wasn't a Jewish village. It was a large town with a large market and many, many uh, coming going from all different parts of that part of Europe. But lo and behold, a Jewish gentleman shows up at his office with this pouch. Rabbi says, thank you so much for bringing the pouch. But the gentleman says, Rabbi, I went to Cheder as a kid. I went to a Jewish school. I learned some Talmud. And if I'm remembering correctly, the law is that if you lose something in an environment where the average person would give up hope, the goods are gone. And much as, as I commented, we don't say finders, keepers, losers, weepers, and there is a mitzvah to return lost object, but 
losers, weepers, finders, keepers. If the loser already had reason to weep, if the loser would have given up hope, the Hebrew term is yush. If the loser either did express, that's it, I'm a goner, it's all gone, or would be expected to in this context, then it's no longer his product. If you're standing on a cruise line and somebody's piece of jewelry, a bracelet, an expensive watch falls off the side of the boat into the ocean, someone else goes diving in and retrieves it, they're the keeper because the finder, the loser, any loser, anybody who drops a piece of jewelry off the side of an ocean liner in the middle of the, land, of the Mediterranean or the Atlantic has no reasonable expectation of finding that watch. And as such, if somebody else managed to do so, he's the keeper. So Rabbi, I got the message that you're asking anybody who found this pouch to come bring it to your office, and I'm doing so, but if I'm correct that I technically have the right to keep it, my family is in dire straits. We could desperately use this money, and if halakhically, if by Jewish law I have a right to keep it, I'd like to keep it. Now, the rabbi heard their argument, and it hit him. This guy's right. That's the law. That's the halacha. If there is yush, if there is a giving up of hope or a presumed yush, the finder is the keeper. This woman is just, it's impossible. There must be some other way. There must be some other argument. The rabbi's mulling it over. Seems trapped in favor of the finder. But he said, look, I'm the rabbi of the community over here. I'm not a great sage. I know the basics, but I'd like to turn this up a notch. I'd like to send this question to the great sage. And he sent the question to Rabbi Yitzchak Ochanan Specter, the rabbi of Kovna, of the great sages of Europe, of this block of time. Yitzchak Ochanan sends back, the pouch goes to the woman. Why? He explained very simply. Because even though it's true that the woman had every reason to give up hope, but she's not sole owner of this pouch. And without getting too involved in the technicalities of when this applies, but as a general rule, unless there's been some real isolation of the assets, her husband is a player here as well. And to what degree can be discussed in different circumstances, but he's a significant player. And the fact that these were the family assets and he is considered the Baal, he's considered to be, for lack of a better term, the owner of those goods. And as such, even though the woman knew it was lost and she expressed this concern and whether she declared Yehush or would be expected to, the husband had no knowledge that this was lost yet. And anywhere, anybody listening over here who had a little yeshiva background, if you remember the topic of Yehush Shalom Das, if you don't know yet to give up hope, that doesn't count as giving up hope. The person didn't realize it fell off the side of the boat. The person doesn't know that the object fell out of their pocket. They haven't had time to recognize their loss. Then there is no yeush yet. And then it is not the finders because until there's losers weeping, there's no finders keeping. So nobody wept yet. I mean, at least the husband, in terms of the fact that he's a controlling party over here and has not known to give up hope and ruled Rabbi Yitzchak Khan Specter that the pouch goes back to the woman or really technically to the family and the husband doesn't have to lose out because of the fact that his wife 
had the knowledge to be concerned and give up hope. And as such, the patch goes back. I don't know if the end of the story, she gave over some money as a reward, hopefully helped out this individual who had brought back the pouch. But technically, until the absolute owner, not the one who's currently holding the money, but the other one who has the technical ownership until he gives up, it's not lost. Said the Chazonish to this individual who had been brought in by Rabbi Galinsky, to this individual who is in the state of despair, who is despondent, who is ready to give up hope. Are you the Baal? Are you the owner of this situation? What do you mean? Am I the owner of the situation? I'm talking about me. I'm giving up hope on me and my life. Are you the owner of your life? Are you the ultimate Baal? Is it your call? Who else would be the owner of my life? And that it hit him. Whoa, whoa, Rabbi, God's the owner? God's in charge over here? Isn't he? Ultimately. And we don't have a right. We don't have a right to, in the extreme, literally give up our life. We don't have a right to simply abandon living in this world because God is the ultimate owner. He is the ultimate one in control. And so, too, we don't have the right to simply give up. You can't give up. God has a plan. God has expectations for you. God has hopes. So you can't give up. You are a player, but you're not the ultimate player over here. The Baal, the one who's the ultimate top of that pyramid, and the one in charge is God, and he has not given up hope, and therefore you can't either. In this particular case that Rigolinsky describes, the person that he brought in was kind of stunned by this idea, and it actually shocked him back into that sense, hey, you're right, it's not up to me. I don't know that that will work for everybody. I think a person has to already have a certain comfort with the fact that there's a God running the show and a certain comfort with the fact that as much as I have my frustrations and I have my difficulties and I'm in a state of despondency and despair, but if he hasn't given up hope, I don't have a right to do so either takes a certain stage, a certain relationship, a certain understanding to make that work. So I'd like to add a few more suggestions as to what mentality, what perspective we can have when we encounter a situation of real difficulty or if we're dealing with somebody else who's expressing incredible pain and frustration and difficulty. And these, these ideas, the Kutzker Rebbe, one of the great early Hasidic Rebbe's, raised the question that the sages say, the Talmud describes, that there's one gate in heaven that is never closed, and that's the gate of tears. The Sha'are de Ma'os, the gates of tears are never closed, even if there are barriers blocking other elements of our prayer, but if the prayer has tears, there's always an opening. So ask the Katsgarebi, if the gates of tears are never closed, why are there gates? It should just be a passageway. Why is it described as the Sha'are de Ma'os, the gates? Gates implies an opening and a closing, possibility to be closed, but they're anan and alos, they're never closed. Why are there gates in fact? And he suggested that it's true, that the gates of tears are open to tears, but it depends on the type of tears. If there are tears of turning to God, God, I have concerns, I have needs, I know you can do it for me. And I'm turning to you with anticipation, with hope, with expectation, with longing. That is the type of tear that enters. But there's another type of tear, 
to which the gates are actually closed. And those are the tears of desperation. If there are tears of dependency, God, I realize I need you, gates are open. But if there are tears of depression, God, there's no hope. That's why I'm crying. I'm not even recognizing that you have the capacity to help me out. Then, unfortunately, there is no opening for such tears. And the recognition that's a fine line between the two, but turning the despair to a sense of, I can't do it, but I know you can. I am hitting a dead end, but I know you have a way to get over this hurdle. I don't know the way to get over this hurdle. I don't know how you're going to get me over this hurdle, but I know you can. And just thinking through history, how many times things looked so, so, so bleak for individual Jews, for Jewish communities, and for the Jewish nation. And that, hey, we're still here. When Rav Yaakov Emden, in his introduction to his sitter, describes the greatest miracles of history. He said, beyond things like the splitting of the sea, or the fact you can find a Jewish community today, and he's talking about 300 years ago, 250 years ago, that there's still a Jewish community around against all the odds. Why are we still here? When the world would have given up on us, we could have made the mistake of giving up on ourselves. But God, I know somehow you can pull us through. And that's been true of the Jewish nation, Jewish communities, and Jewish individuals in different times of despair. And last point, the uh, Ishvitzer, again, within the world of Hasidic thought, points to the fact that we Jews are known as Jews. Why? I mean, initially it was B'nai Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrews. Why the Jews? Jews represents Judah, yeah, Jude, Jew, Judeans. Judah was one of the tribes of Israel, one out of 12. Okay, later on, they're certainly a dominant tribe and one of the only lasting tribes, but why Judean as opposed to something that's more broad in terms of Israelites. And there are various approaches to this. But the Ishbritzer says, because Judah had the trait of not giving up. When things looked extremely bleak, think back to the story when they're down in Egypt, the brothers have come down, there is this cruel, sinister viceroy who has already taken one of their brothers hostage and is now threatening to take the other, take Benjamin, and everything seems to indicate that he has the full license to do so. He certainly has the power to do so. And it seems that he's in the right. He's framed Binyamin, and the brothers don't know the truth that Binyamin was innocent. And everything seems to be bleak, and their father's life is dependent on Binyamin coming back home. And they're doomed without being able to bring Binyamin back. And the brothers are stunned into silence. And Judah steps forward. Gosh, I love Yehuda. He steps forward and he says, we're not done with this story over here. He's not giving up hope. And we are called Jews because ultimately Jews don't give up hope. We've had every reason to believe to do so. And unfortunately, many individuals did. You go through Jewish history and whether it was leaving the land, abandoning Judaism, God forbid, baptizing in order to get ahead in the world in Europe and in more modern history, just to say, hey, wash my hands of this. I don't have to be identified as a Jew and have all that hassle, but thank God, probably anybody listening to this podcast today and so many others that we all interface with have kept it going. So whether it's on the national level, maintaining what it means to be the Jewish people or in our personal lives, if we suffer what feels like a setback, even what feels like a knockout blow, let's remember 
it's not over. There is hope. And if we have a hard time feeling that hope, that Baal upstairs, he has that hope for us. So keep that in mind. We still have a tachlis to shoot for and having the sense, the internal recognition that we have somebody up there wanting us to achieve it can make it that much more likely that we get ourselves back up off the ground, dust ourselves off, and move forward to achieve that tachlis.